Well, good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the Ag Market Network, our monthly uh, cotton teleconference broadcast. We appreciate you joining us here on March the 9th. I'm Pat McClatchy. This program is brought to you by BASF. Uh, as you know, they are the owners of Fibermax and Stoneville Cottonseed, and they make this program possible for us, and we appreciate that. Leading us today will be Kip Butts, and he's joined uh, by our cotton panel of Dr. O.A. Cleveland, Dr. John Robinson, and Gerald Nieper. Uh, Kip, thanks for uh, leading us today. Well, thank you very much, Pat. Um, wanted just what I'm primarily going to do today is just go over the uh, the Washington report, and I would like to get some reaction from my uh, my cohorts here on, on what their uh, thoughts are on it. Uh, but um, the March report was, uh, at least in my mind, a bit supportive for prices, although the, uh, clearly the market disagrees with me. But uh, in the world, production was reduced 830,000 bales or so, with the United States being the lion's share of that reduction at 250,000. Uh, Brazil did have a, uh, I say lion's share, it's not true, because Brazil had a half million bale uh, decline from 12 to 11.5 million in their production. Um, and I think one of the features on this was that the world um, trade was increased, a little over 600,000 bales with, with pretty good increases in uh, Turkey, Pakistan, Bangladesh, and Vietnam. Those, uh, those are key production uh, consuming areas, I should say. And it's, it's interesting that they had to, uh, USDA saw reason to pull those numbers up. Of course, that matches with essentially uh, consumption increases in those countries as well. Um, I think what we're seeing in this, uh, and something I think in some of the earlier USDA reports, comments were made that this Zinjian um, situation has changed some of the flows, the trade flows, and some of the demand uh, movements, particularly on the textile side, and say the yarn and, and weavers and garment manufacturers. So, so I think we're going to continue to see some sort of a switch in here um, in, in this world trade, where we we do in fact get increases outside of China. Uh, that doesn't mean China is necessarily going to market's going to go down for consumption, but we are going to see increases outside of China to try to accommodate the. Um, the concern with, with Zinjiang being a uh, sort of a quote, bad player. Now, domestic use in whole was increased to uh, about 250,000 bales. The, the ending result in this was a decrease of ending stocks of 1.15 million bales in the world. To talk about the U.S., I did mention the 250,000 bale decline in production. I spoke to a couple of folks today uh, and one of which is on the line that did some work on the general report and suggest that we may see a little bit more reduction uh, before this, uh, before the annual is done. The domestic use in the U.S. was uh, reduced 100,000 bales. Uh, quite honestly, I've been hearing that uh, that demand for yarn was pretty strong, so there may be some other factors involved in that that, that change it. Exports were left unchanged at 15 and a half which to me was a little bit surprising. We've still seen pretty good, no, really good sales at relative high levels, and we've seen uh, shipments uh, still hold pretty strong, although in relative terms we've seen a few weak 
um, weeks in here, or I should say smaller level of shipments, but that's been primarily explained by weather and by some um, some kind of logistic problems associated partly with weather and partly with port congestions. Bottom line is that um, ending stocks are reduced only 100,000 bales in this report. On balance, I thought this report today would be somewhat supportive to the market. Um, and I don't know, maybe I've missed something. Uh, if I did, please help me out with this. But any comments from my uh, my compatriots here, I'd, I'd like to hear your, your thoughts on uh, on the impact of this uh, or the potential impact of this report. All right, let's Did open it up for everybody. Bases, I should say? Well, let's let's see. In, in, let's just kind of go around the horn here and just ask for comments on the report or any thoughts. Pat, uh, <clears throat> go ahead, uh, John. I was just going to say sorry, but you know, by the numbers, it, it was a it was a supportive, you know, modestly supportive thing. Wouldn't wouldn't justify the market reaction that uh, that we've seen. Of course, the market's right. I'm not. Um, I think it's. I think what we have to compare it to was was the expect. What I think was the expectations of a larger cut to U.S. production and and some uh, ramping up of the export numbers. So that's that's what I think was disappointed. Well, well I, I also I, I, excuse me. Go ahead. I was just going to say I think the market was already struggling before the report came out and. And uh, I, I just think the market was already trading what it was doing. It was already doing what it was was going to do today. And this market uh, and the report was just not friendly enough to stop it in its tracks. Um, the uh, you know the the Jennings numbers or the uh, uh, the crop production number. Yeah, it could come down a little bit further. It was a little disappointing that they didn't raise the export number. Um, the the domestic consumption number to Kip's point is. Because I'm hearing that there's very, very good demand for yarn. Um, I, I, you know, rumors are that uh, uh, you know d- domestic mills are, are having trouble getting enough labor to work in the plants. Um, also, there's some some trouble finding you know trucks to move yarn from from plants to to either uh, to, to to the offshore uh, Caribbean nations. So it's it, it's not a slow recovery based upon the COVID. It's really a slow recovery based upon, you know, a labor and logistics problem rather than, than an economic or demand side problem. Because uh, I, I think uh, I think the yarn spinners are, are, are running as, as strong as they can run right now, given given the strength, the constraints that they're facing. Um, the uh, um, you know somebody tried to point out that uh, people are upset or not upset, are worried about the Chinese economy. Um, you know, people were expecting, China came out the other day and said that they were shooting for, for growth this year in, in excess of 6%. You know, people were thinking that they were going to come out with an 8% or, or higher growth rate. So that so that was a little disappointing that they came out with such a conservative estimate, and that was putting some pressure on on the Chinese, you know, stock market and worry about the economy, and so maybe there's some demand-side worries on, you know, from the Chinese side that perhaps that's what's impacting this market. I, I don't know. But uh, certainly uh, somebody decided to, to sell today, and it just fed upon itself. Well, I think certainly the, the market should be very concerned. It's been broadcast wide and clear for several months that the Chinese economy was in trouble. 
So, I mean, I would just say there's nothing new there, but uh, what happens today, what sometimes we think we know something and the market doesn't react, and then three weeks later, what we knew, and we just knew it emphatically, the market all all of a sudden figures out. So, obviously, the market is much, much, much smarter than we are. Uh, We just just found that lucky acorn. Uh, But, Gerald, this this is not calling you to task. It's trying to figure out, you know, three months ago, I commented that the payments to mills were lagging a couple of hundred thousand bales, and you cautioned me from talking to mills that, that I shouldn't look at that. That's not the case. And ever since then, they've come down 200,000 bales in domestic consumption. 1,000, what, 100,000 last month, 100,000 this month, or was it the month before last, but 200 in total. Uh, but, I mean, I kept hearing that uh, based on that, that uh, I, I continue to hear it, uh, that that the mills were a bit in trouble, but apparently you were hearing from mills that they weren't in trouble. Uh, so, I mean, I, I don't know, uh, and I thought I just understood you to say that mills were saying, oh, they were just uh, running great. I mean, if they're running so great, why are they down 200,000 bales in two months or three months, whatever it is? Well, we, we, uh, that, we got two issues there. We got two issues there. Number one, this report. From what I understand, this report is subject to quite a, quite a bit of revisions as you move forward. So, um, but, uh, well, it's an, and, it's maybe, and maybe those yeah. revisions go up and maybe they come down. But the other side of the equation is that uh, spinners are spinning as much as they can spin given the constraints that they're facing. And maybe those constraints are having a bigger impact than, than what I'm being led to believe in terms of the... Uh, um, in terms of the labor situation and in the in the trucking situation, oh wait. So um, I wasn't implying that they're you know two six two seven two eight, but I was implying that they were that they under the circumstances that they're working, they're working they're working uh, full out. Any other I thoughts about? Well, I had just heard, as I mentioned uh, in the beginning, that I had heard that the demand for yarn was pretty strong, and uh, and I was a little bit surprised that the numbers went down. I I think there was a bit of over a bit too much optimism early on about how much we would come back, but the numbers were looking good. I think, uh, but I think Gerald, based on what he said, that makes sense to me because you can still have strong demand for the yarn, but if you physically have some other constraints, that might show up that way. I, uh, so, yep. I mean, I, well, I understand what you're saying. I, I really do, mm-hmm. Kip. I understand what he's saying. It's just that uh, uh, they're, they're, they're spinning all they spin. Well, obviously, it's mm-hmm. not as much as we thought six months ago. It, it's not what USDA estimated six months ago. Mm-hmm. It's, it's considerably less. But any, I mean, I, I brought that up. I, I, let me just—it's not that important in the scheme of things. In all honesty, it's the it's the foreign situation that's important. Uh, I and, agree. I mean, it, yeah, it, it's it's great to see that 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 demand in, increase. And uh, let me just throw it out there now. We can discuss it later. I think that demand is just now beginning to increase. I think we're in for an explosion there. But uh, I know we're not quite talking about that just yet. But uh, well, uh, I, I, and, and Gerald, I'm not challenging you personally. It's just I'm, I'm perplexed uh, with this market. Well, I am too, Howay. 
Uh, well, it's, one of the things I want to follow up on O.A.'s point, I think it's an excellent one regarding the demand. We may be on the edge of something big here. Um, I, China, I don't think at 6%, that's still a big economy. Yeah, I, we've seen them grow at really large numbers. We knew uh, at some point it was going to slow down. I, I think there are extenuating circumstances on this that – I think it'd probably be nice if they were running at eight or nine or something, which would make some sense. But there are a lot of other problems going on outside of China. I think is is where we need to start thinking about because a lot of these emerging economies, these incomes have gone up pretty dramatically in the last two or three years, and we've seen that. And then we see a COVID, which really kind of put a damper on everything, and now I think we're going to see, as we come out of this, an emerging demand base that didn't exist before and a pent-up demand that occurred during this, this COVID period. So, so I think what we have to sort of, in, in my mind, think about are these emerging economies uh, outside of China, let's say, and that the demand for food and for agricultural products and textile products might be quite a bit stronger than one would imagine, primarily because of the, this pandemic. So so I, I like the point that O.A. made. I think it's one that we need to, to, to think about, consider, and talk about, because I, I think it could be a lot stronger than what, uh, what a lot of people are thinking about right now. So thanks for bringing it up, O.A. Thank you. I, I I needed some help before Gerald blasted me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know I'm wondering. One, go ahead. I was trying. Go ahead. I was, I was trying to say, mediate there, between you two. You know, <laughs> there's there's a lot of uh, 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 discussion about these darn freight rates and and the 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 particularly as you go from Asia to the United States and Asia to to Europe, and you just wonder. You know, is that having some minor impact on on the demand? Guys are saying, "Listen, you know, yeah, we need T-shirts, but we can't afford to pay, you know, ten dollars a T-shirt in freight to to move it." Um, well, tongue in cheek, <laughs> it looks like the higher the freight goes, the more cotton we sell. I mean, well, it seems well. I now sense that you know, we are all concerned about freight rates. The council is, the shippers are, everybody is yet. The higher the rates go, the more shipments we get. There's something that's just not making sense. This could be a short-term phenomenon we're seeing yeah. here yeah. where these garment manufacturers are just scrambling trying to find a, a different source than Zinjiang because I, I think we're just now getting a handle on how big this Zinjiang market was to the garment manufacturers and the retailers. And I think they're trying to get out as fast as they can, which is distorting the trade flows and the prices to a degree. Um, so, you know, we might – this may be a short-term time phenomenon, but it does take a while to move these. Uh, you can't just pack up a, a textile mill and move, you know, one country to another quickly. That's a process. So part of what we're seeing, I think, may be – combination of strong consumer demand, but also this attempt to change the, the sourcing channels outside of, of Xinjiang. Does that make sense? 
makes total sense to me. That's, yeah. that's what I'm saying. Pat, if I can, or John, or Gerald, if I, if I can, and y'all slap me back real quick. Uh, I, I think the, the discussion we need to start focusing on is, and, and it's maybe the wrong thing to do, is give up a lot of discussion about old crop and get into new crop and new crop demand and what's going on in Brazil and the United States and, and, and Australia and start trying to figure that out because uh, gosh, at, at 85 cents and 89 cents above 90, hopefully from a grower perspective, all the cotton's been sold. Yeah, there are a few out there that still had a little bit of grower hands, but I would think most of the interest is going to be on new crop and and as a consequence, uh, that, that's that's where I think our discussion, that's me personally, where our discussion should go. But I'm not the first to lead it. Gibbs in charge today. Right, let's <laughs> so, just follow your lead. I like I like where you're heading there. Uh, whoever, whoever knows something about this subject needs to speak, and it's not me. I just I just hit the highlights. Somebody that has some meat on the bone needs to tell us what it is. So we had December, we had December cotton closed today. At eighty one forty, down three hundred ninety four, uh, and then we had old crop down the limit, down four hundred. Are we in agreement that this is a short term reaction to the downsides, maybe some fund liquidation? I assume we think that if if we're positive on December, looking out. It, it, what are most? What do you guys think has happened in this market today? I wonder. Well. You know, we- been a lot of talking. I think the market may have gotten ahead of itself just a little bit here, and and, and we reacted to things a little bit faster than we quote maybe should have. Um, because if we look at the the numbers as, as we talked about, I think we're going to see some some shortages of, of quality cotton potentially outside uh, the U.S. next year. Um, or potentially that I shouldn't say that. That's making a forecast that's a bit. Um, out on a limb. I can hear that saw back there. But uh, if we have good demand, I think the world trade is at least maintained, probably increased modestly. And with that, that's going to make the U.S. a strong player, particularly if Brazil uh, shows the decrease in acreage you would expect because of other commodities. So I, from that perspective, I kind of the demand side looks pretty good. We've got, a, in my mind, a potential. With 81 cents, I mean, it's not as attractive as it is at, at 90 cents to grow cotton in the U.S., but, you know, it's not bad either. But uh, we still got other crops to deal with, so there's some other competition going on in, in the U.S. So um, I, I just see supply and demand, which has been world global, grossly imbalanced for a period of years, getting better balanced to uh, to a more favorable ending stock number relative to mill use. So now, having said all that, I, I, no one today has said a word about polyester, and I think we cannot go very long without talking about that as well. So. I've had my say for the moment. <laughs> Others? Any comments? Uh, so, Elway, we, we, how bullish are you, December Cotton? Wild. 
what's going to happen in Texas, and demand is just going to skyrocket. So between uh, demand and the possibility that Texas, as dry as it is, and the prospect of staying dry could lead to a pretty explosive thing. Pretty explosive thing. I'm I'm kind of burned right now. I mean, I'm scared of what Gerald's going to say to criticize me, but I noticed a tweet last week that said, have you ever known O.A. Cleveland not to be bullish? So that scared me. I've been looking to be bearish, but I can't find it in this tough crop. Eight million bales in, eight million acres in, and it's done it before. Uh, and it did it on the rebound here. But, gosh, there's been a lot of rain. But there's still a lot of time. I made the comment that Cinco de Mayo is the, is, is the South Texas, and June 1 is the West Texas and the Rolling Hills. A lot of time to get that rain just yet. But I don't know. Has there know. been any change on this El Nino forecast? Has that been... Uh, uh, the, uh, John, I'm going to ask the, you. I know you've been watching. There's still the last... The last couple of forecasts and weather talks I've heard have basically suggested it's going to, the La Nina part of it, the formal La Nina condition will be with us through planting, you know, through early June. So, I mean, that means it's dryness on top of dryness, mm-hmm. um, which kind of leads me to think I'm, 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 I would project a, like a 15 and a half million bale crop, maybe, maybe 16, but I'm, I'm penciling out ending stocks between 10 and 15 percent, which is tight. I mean, that's just that's just tight. And from a from a regression forecast standpoint, that spits out an average price for December futures in the low 80s come harvest time. You know, there's a lot of bouncing higher and lower that could arrive at that, but it. That, that's my fundamental take on it. Is that it's uh, pat? Is that uh, December could uh, could be well supported? Well, for for those farmers that did book cotton when we were up at higher levels, do any of you guys suggest they might take a look at buying calls now that we're down? I think we've had that strategy before: sell your crop and buy calls. I just wonder if it makes if it still makes sense, even though these calls are pretty expensive. I, I, I think for, that there is a problem. It's expensive. I'm sorry. Well, no, I wouldn't say old crop. That's what we're talking about. New Nine crop. Calls for old crop. Too early. Oh, for new crop. No, no. Yeah, I mean, I'm talking about if they've sold their December. If they've booked when we were up here at these okay. higher levels, uh, should they consider buying back that with calls, especially now that we've dropped like this? Well, you can buy some cheaper calls. What is it? The the September, or is it August? The September options expire with the December contract I settlement. So, so yeah. I mean, you would save uh, you would save two or three months there. Maybe, maybe it is December. I don't know. Yeah, I I, there there are calendar there are calendar options out there. You can cheapen that up if you can take a couple of months off of it. And I, I that that so that would be a that would be an idea. And that gets because, you that gets um, you to the to the supply and demand reports in August and September, so it kind of gets you to that potential volatile period of time right there. Yeah, with the volatility where it is, and with the time we've got for December, December options are incredibly expensive. So, yeah, the idea to shorten that up and maybe come in a couple of months to get it cheaper is is, a, is probably a good idea. 
put in some call spreads on it in case it might not be bad either because of the yeah. incredible expense. Uh, but, but I, I mean, that's sort of, I'm, I'm been known to be kind of cheap on things like that because there are, they are pretty pricey. And so maybe doing some call spreads on it might not be a, a bad strategy. I definitely think that 8140 is too cheap for December. And to OA's point, I don't know how bullish it can be, but, you know, you look out here and I, I just think all the bullish news that we know is, is already baked into the market. And so we, we've got to wait for something new, like we've got to wait a couple of months and make sure it doesn't rain in West Texas. You know, maybe the weather turns nasty in the Delta and the Southeast. OA, you made a comment the last uh, on the last call that I thought, think that um, – one of your weather guys, who you, you have a lot of respect yeah. for, is calling for a wild, a wild time in the summer in the, in the Delta in terms of just unpredictable weather. Yeah. So you know, there, there's a lot of things out there that that is going to, I think, favorably impact this market as we move forward. We just kind of got to get through this, you know, this spec liquidation, if you will. The backdrop of supply is one thing, but dog, we. Is there any real concern about the demand into this? I know I'm pretty, I'm pretty big on, on strong demand for cotton and textiles, and you know the, the whole. Is am I missing something there? Is there something there that I I'm, I need to be cautious of, or, or are we all kind of pretty much in 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 agreement that there should be pretty strong demand over the next 18 to months or so? I'm definitely in agreement. I, I I agree with your tip. What you said about pent up demand and and you know various phases of it are all kind of working together to give us a positive picture. Well, well, let's let's open up the phones for questions and just to remind everybody when I take this mute off for our listeners that are muted, uh, ask your question. Just go ahead and ask it, and then as you ask it, I'm going to turn the mute back on because what we find is a, a lot of feedback i mean a lot of a lot of noise so i'm gonna go ahead let's take it off mute so if you've got a question you go ahead and submit it to our to our panel any questions i know your emphasis has been on uh on, on new crop but could you give a stab at uh where you think old crop could go Well, the question is, what about what about old crop and what it might do? And while we're doing that, if y'all don't mind, let's let's sort of go around and give thoughts on price range for old crop and price for new crop. And I know how wild that can be doing, but <laughs> let, let's start let's start with Kip. Give us your projections on old crop and what you think could happen, and also new crop. Well, in old crop, I think I, I, I'm. Don't necessarily. I don't think this rally's over that we saw. I'm not going to be. I'm not saying we're going to go dramatically higher than the old highs, but I won't be surprised to see us move back in the, the mid 90s again. In as much as I believe that we're now, this is predicated on the thought that export shipments are going to continue to be strong, and that uh, the U.S. crop's going to be modestly lower. So I think ending stocks are going to reflect a little, uh, a little bit lower numbers. And I think I made the comment earlier, market may have gotten ahead itself on the upside, 
may well have overreacted on the downside here in the short term too. So I, I'm not going to be surprised to see the uh, the old crop in the mid 90s again. As far as the lows for old crop, I don't know. Maybe we could get maybe we can get into the high 70s, but I don't. The short term demand is strong enough. Mills have been good buyers on dips. It's unlikely we're going to get much lower than maybe 80. 79 cents on the on the old in the new crop uh sure we can go down a little bit here in in the short term but i think we sort of fundamentally uh, fundamentally analyze this thing uh to the point that i I think that the december uh future highs are probably going to be in the low to mid 90s before it's all said and done if we wind up in a scenario where the Weather in Texas is a worst case scenario. Then I think we could we might have the potential to move prices higher than that. But I think from a, a farmer perspective, if you see 91 cents plus, you start scaling in and you get through with it pretty darn quickly. And then you might look at doing some kind of a call uh, option strategy at that point. The low on on new crop December. Let's look at the other side of this because there's a lot of factors involved. What if it does start raining and all of a sudden this La Nina forecast goes away? Well, then maybe you see prices move down into the mid-70s or so there. Uh, I don't mean to be talking out of both sides of my mouth, but there's just an awful lot of things that can, can change these forecasts. So I'm probably putting too wide a range on it. My bias is more to the to the upside than down at this point. Okay, John. Say that. Sorry. John, John, what are your I'm, thoughts? I'm, I'm going to agree with the old crop assessment that uh, that you know uh, merchants and mills having to finalize their transactions could give some upward volatility and get us back to the mid 90s. Um, on on the and I'm going to also agree. Worst case scenario in the new crop situation, you could put a bunch of seed in the ground and then it could rain Memorial Day weekend and it could all sprout. So I mean, there is downside. Uh, there is downside risk down to the I'd say to 75, and uh, if I just slapped a range on it, I'd say 75 to 90 on December 21. Okay, Gerald. Um, you know, old crop. Where are we? 84.32, and and you know the yeah. the market settled today with about 500 being offered on the close. You know, I don't know. Maybe it runs down to 83 cents on old crop, uh, and then runs back up to uh, uh, probably try to test the highs again somewhere around 95. So 83 to to 96. Let's let's put that way on on old crop. New crop uh, uh, probably 80, 81 cents on on the downside, and on the upside. Uh, um, <laughs> uh, gosh, um, come on. <laughs> Probably ninety three to ninety five eventually. Right. I mean, if it if it if it stays dry in West Texas, which it, you know all indications are, and you don't just need a planting rain, you need a lot of rain to to fill up that the subsoil moisture. And there's you know hardly any good subsoil moisture out there on the in districts of particularly in one S. Um, but uh, so you know getting a Getting it rain and getting it sprouted is one thing. Keeping it growing is is, is something else altogether. Uh, so nope. yeah, ninety three to ninety five cents. So eighty to ninety five. Let's put it that way on on December. Okay. Oh, way. Uh, Gerald, tell you know, that Billy Dunlap made the comment several times that you only make big crops in Texas if you have good subsoil moisture. 
We got zero subsoil moisture. Okay, let me. I'll get away from that old crop. Uh, gosh, Gerald Kip's gone. I guess we'll accept everything y'all said. You know what are we? You said eighty-three or something like that. Eighty-four in, in old crop. Yeah, we could have a you know big spec sell-off or something and get down to eighty cents, but. Um, I think we've had those big six spec sell-offs, so we're sitting at the low, in my opinion. And uh, Jill, correct me, of course, we'll get a report Thursday, but we've still got a pretty impressive-looking call sales versus call purchases situation. So we could take this back up to the mid-90s very easily. And when you do something like that, when you're at the mid-90s, you can go to a dollar very easily. So, and, and, and kind of like uh, uh, Kip said, that he was a little surprised that we didn't see a larger USDA export estimate for old crop. I was marginally surprised. They Since they raised it last month, I wasn't surprised they didn't raise it this month. They'll, just their situation, they'll raise it every other month, in my opinion. But uh, I still think we we sell more, so we, we take the, our uh, carryover lower. Uh, so anyway, whatever you said, 80, 80, 83, 80 cents on the downside, 95 cents plus on the upside. Old uh, new crop, uh, I think we're pretty we're pretty near the low side. Uh, we get the big rain in Texas that moves the crop lower. Well, we got to have some outstanding weather in Brazil uh, because they are a month behind uh, easily. And still, the, the uh, statistics show that when this, they're this far behind, they have small crops. Uh, and that's becoming our major export uh, competitor. So I still think we've got a, we're, we're looking at the mid-90s in, in new crop, and who knows? Uh, Brazil continues to have problems, and they're facing the same La Nina problem we are. And that continues... Who knows? We can take it a little bit higher than that, but certainly ninety-five cents. I wouldn't have any left. That's it, Pat. I can All right. Okay. Well, any other uh, closing thoughts we've got before we wrap it up? So, John, what are we going to plan in West Texas, Kip? <laughs> Not well, what are they? You know, well, well, yeah, well, what are they going to plan? But they got a lot of time yet. Well, well, that's a question. How how much time do they have? Because I mean, the the picture keeps changing. You know, I've, I've given outlook talks. I've had to change them every every three or four days <laughs> because of the relative, <laughs> just the relative price prediction. So, yeah. I I actually went to a live meeting of real farmers last week, and um, <laughs> and I asked them. Now, this is in an area where they plant peanuts and cotton and maybe a little bit of grain, but they said they weren't changing their normal rotations. Um, okay. okay. I think from an insurance standpoint, everything south of draw a line, Plainview is is going to be reinforced to do their normal heavy cotton planting. So the real question is, what are those recently converted corn producers in the panhandle, what are they going to do? And I'm kind of having difficult pegging what they're going to do, given how variable the price deal has been. Well, John, I, I think that what we had heard, the insurance rates that have been set, 83 cents for Lent, and I believe I saw nine cents for, for seed. Are you, did you hear that? I hadn't seen the memo, but that would be about right. 
Well, that that's that's the, pretty healthy. The average the average of the month of February. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a high insurance price in a dry damn situation. Well, you know, I don't think it takes a rocket scientist to figure out in those areas that have production history and 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 insurance. Uh, you know, the, those areas. Now the newer areas, you know, they may be working with T yields for all I know. So it's it's not as influential. So it's going to come down to relative prices. And like I say, that's been that's been very changing. Pat, those numbers are right. Highest insurance paper on record. I've also heard Milo has moved up. We've been looking at a basis in most areas in West Texas of a dollar over, and and I've, I've heard recently that it had moved to like a dollar twenty over in some areas. So there's a there is a there's a war to try to get acres for sure. Yeah. All Pat, right. Can I ask one question? Yeah, guys. Uh, guys, will we see 12 million acres? I think we will. Would we all respond individually, please? If you're I think so. Okay. I think we'll have 12. I can't disagree. You know, given these prices, who who's going to really decrease their acres? Okay. Uh, so it, it should be at least a minimum of 12, if not, you know, something larger than that. All right. Thank you. All right. Well, let's wrap it up. Uh, I want to thank, uh, first off, BASF for sponsoring us and making our program possible for you. Uh, I want to thank to, to our listeners and sp- thank you to our speakers, our cotton panel, and a special thank you to Kip Butts for leading us. So that concludes this edition of the uh, of the Ag Market Network. Thank you.